1: You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash partners in crime media.
2: This week's Law and Order Marathon winner is Katie Harden of Albany, Oregon. Katie will win a marathon decal showing she watched 26.2 hours of her favorite crime show. To be next week's winner, sign up at Podcast.com.
3: I'm Kevin Flynn with Rebecca Lavoy and Sonia Missio and these are their stories. You think you know
1: who did it, but you don't know who did it. Law Order Law Order,
4: Law
3: Their stories welcome to these are their stories the podcast about network tv's most enduring crime franchise and the real life cases that inspired their shows i'm kevin flynn each podcast will break down an episode from either criminal intent svu or original recipe and today we're looking at law and order season six episode 16 savior
1: they're called family annihilators They often have an overdeveloped sense of family values. The problem is, rather than serving as a protective force, it becomes destructive. I love you so much, I have to kill you?
3: Joining me to do just that is true crime author and the host of Crime Writers On and Slate's mom and dad are fighting podcasts, Rebecca Lavoie. Hello, Rebecca.
5: I have a stomachache, so I'm not sure I can go to school. other than that,
3: I'm fine. (laughs) Good. And rounding out our panel is our special guest from the Unusual Efforts podcast and sports journalist podcaster, Sonia Missio. Hi, Sonia. Hi, guys. How are you? We're great. Thanks for joining us. I know you're a big Law &
2: Order fan. I am um, I mean it's it's just part of my life. I can't imagine life without it. Like a religion.
3: Yeah, it can be, Uh, especially when you you do it on Sunday. Uh, (laughs) Now, your focus in in journalism is women's soccer.
2: It's not so much women's soccer as it is um, non male writers. So, what Unusual Efforts does is it takes voices that don't usually get heard within the soccer world. So, it could be writing about men's soccer, that's totally cool, but it's just sort of the voices that kind of get left behind or overlooked for your kind of typical masculine male voices in sports journalism in general.
3: Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. And you you're you're located where? Is it in Toronto? So,
2: I'm in Toronto and my partner who started unusual efforts with me is American, but she is located in Serbia. Okay. As you do. And you
3: you're okay with the word soccer as opposed to football? <laughs> oh, yeah, I've never
2: said football in my life. My dad's Italian and football is not a thing.
3: <laughs> Can we agree that soccer is the sport of the future and always will be? <laughs>
2: Uh, yeah, I may actually steal that as a tagline for the website now.
6: Yeah, I mean it's
2: growing a little bit now. I mean, you guys have a team in New England, so there's that. Yeah. Uh, New England, the yeah. Well done. Um the World Cup coming is going to be a huge deal. It it is growing. A lot of our focus is still European uh soccer, but you know, I've been a TFC season ticket holder for basically the entire club's existence and we're just starting the Canadian Premier League here in Canada, so there's big things in the future I'm hoping for. Kevin, can you name one player
5: on the New England Revolution? You were just like the Revs. You were like super confident yeah, uh, about it.
3: Jones. <laughs> nailed um, it. Nailed it. Thank you. So which Law and Order character do you think would make the best soccer
2: player? Ooh. Um Lupo.
1: Lupa, Jerry really? Sister, yeah.
5: say Serena Sutherland. Is that terrible? <laughs>
1: Is this because I'm a lesbian? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
5: sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to all of our listeners for that terror, especially you, June Thomas, for that terrible,
2: terrible joke. <laughs> Though in this episode, Claire played some mean squash. So, you know. She did. There, there's the athlete in her.
3: So, Sonia, of all the franchises, which two cops are your favorite detective team? Favorite
6: law and order detective
3: team.
2: I think this has to change to second favorite detective team because, I mean, everyone's favorite is uh, Lenny and Logan. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. just sort of the standard answer. So I actually thought about this for quite some time, knowing that I was going to be on the show. And I'm going to go with a very unconventional answer with Fontana and Green.
5: Wow. Okay. That's really good. I love Fontana. So do I. Yeah. I like, love him. I
2: was just reading up on him as you do, not in preparation for this show, but just as a Saturday night. And he's made the worst detective team list for so many different writers. And I couldn't believe it. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, like,
3: good season 15, 16 selection there. I, I
2: know. <laughs> there was a lot of hate for, Fant- for Fontana. But um, one thing that I really liked about Fontana was he was the anti-Lenny. Like, everything Lenny was... Fontana was not, like, even Lenny's one-liners. Like,
3: well-dressed. Yeah, yeah. exactly.
2: (laughs) Suave and, you know, put together. But, like, Fontana had a a catchphrase, not even a one-liner. He had that catchphrase he always said about, like, oh, we have authority or we have access or whatever it was. But
3: he has, like, way too much money to not be on the take, right? (laughs) Oh, for sure,
2: for sure. Wait, are you saying that because he's also Italian? I mean, where are we going with this? No, no,
3: no. I'm just saying because he wears a camel hair coat.
2: Fair. Yeah. And lots of scarves.
3: And so who's your favorite prosecutorial team?
1: Favorite law and order district attorney prosecutorial team.
2: Um, Again, this is my second favorite team um, after Jack and Claire, but another unconventional because, you know, just trying to start a conversation. But Tracy Kyber and Kelly Gaffney. What? Yep. <laughs> I think trial by jury is so underrated. Oh, I don't think oh, it should be. No, we don't even talk about that one. That's not even a thing on
1: this show. I was
3: going to pause the recording and Google that. You
1: <laughs> we were going to look at our law and order wiki that we've hanging here on the wall.
3: I got nothing for trial by jury. That is definitely a first. Good conversation starter.
2: And conversation ender. <laughs> <A> conversation ender. <laughs>
3: Now let's look at the first half of this episode, Law & Order, Season 6, Episode 16, Savior. We see little Eric trying to convince his mommy that his tummy hurts too much to go to school. Well, wait to see how your stomach feels when you go inside your cousin's house. Oh, God. They find Joyce Weber and her son, Murder, daughter Jenna Weber, wounded from a gunshot. And
1: Dad,
4: nowhere to be found. You think it was Mr. Weber?
1: Why not? The wife takes a couple of 22s. The first stop is usually happy.
4: But not Sonny. If Weber wanted the jewels, there are easier ways. Oh, you never heard of somebody staging a break-in? I mean, the guy's still
1: missing. There's no sign of forced entry. The family didn't even wake up. It sure looks like whoever did this had a key.
3: Ron Weber says he went out drinking, and of all the nights to pass out in a diner, it had to be that one. Mm. Who else might want to kill Joyce? She has been a squeaky clean liquor authority worker, and this gives Briscoe a chance to sample peanut butter and baked potatoes from some street (laughs) vendor with no liquor license. Joyce suddenly started shaking people down for money. Ron's position at the ad agency was shaky, and the money problems just kept piling up. The evidence against him is weak, so they search his office and find the jewelry lost during the break-in. They arrest Ron for murdering his family. Okay, so we start with a, a chuckle about a kid not wanting to go to school.
0: Dr. Waldstein's got a new medicine for stomach aches. At least it comes in bubblegum. It comes in one of his extra-long needles. You won't taste a thing. Just what, Mom? I think I feel a little bit better now.
3: And we transition into a gruesome crime scene. Oh, my God! <laughs> is a powerful kickoff to this episode.
5: It's like a real old school Law and Order. A crime has been committed. Kickoff to this episode. Like this is one of those ones where, like, even the scenery, like the, they go into that brownstone, which we know it's like an expensive piece of property. This whole episode, by the way, is very Upper East Side, which is awesome. uh But even like inside the house, it feels like a real place. It doesn't feel like a set, and it's gloomy and it's dark, and we see the bodies in the beds with the. Wounds, it's very, very dark. And it's very procedural. And I actually really like that about it.
2: I actually had forgotten about this episode. And I was really taken aback about the close-ups of open wounds. And it just, it really did shock me. Um, Especially because now I'm so used to SVU, which is all like very clean and like sharp. And this was just like slow pan of dead bodies. And you talk
5: about it being sort of like cleaner than it used to be. Because one of the things that's been bothering me lately about SVU is they had to have sets for everything. Like, even places where they used to go on location, like inside courthouses and stuff, it's all a set. Everything is, like, set, 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 set. And so when I watch episodes like this, where it's, like, all on location, it feels like going home. Like, this actually feels like it was filmed in New York, like a real place. Yeah. I don't know. I really, really like that. Oh,
2: for sure. Like, even you had mentioned the brownstone before. When you go in, it's messy. It looks like people have lived there. You go into, I mean, Olivia's house and everything is... Perfect and neat and clean.
6: Yeah. And, and she's supposed to
5: be working all the time,
2: yeah.
6: right?
2: Yeah. I mean, she has a nanny, but do they ever mention a housekeeper or anything? I don't know. I shouldn't no. be. Lucy does double
5: duty. Yeah.
2: Poor Lucy. <laughs> Poor Lucy. It's a podcast.
3: Now, Ron Weber chooses a school night to get so drunk. He passes out at a diner. They can find the bartender that served him all those drinks, but they can't find a waitress who remembers a guy sleeping at her station all night?
2: (laughs) I actually had a question about that. So pardon my Canadian Toronto naivete, but do all New York bartenders dress like that? Like he had like (laughs) the (laughs) full vest and everything. And I mean, you get that in hipster bars in Toronto, but like... That was a bartender. Oh, this is
3: OG. This is OG, yeah. my no, friend. No,
2: I will say, this is part
5: of the Upper East Sideness of this episode that I love. So, because you're from Toronto, and because my sister used to live on the Upper East Side, and I spent many years hanging out up there. And because um,
3: 95% of our audience doesn't live in New York. But
5: the thing that is to know about that part of the city is... This is the part of the city where, like, there are places where there are professional waiters. There are restaurants where there are, like, guys in their 50s and 60s who put on a suit every day to go in and be a bartender or a waiter this is not a part of the city i mean yes there are other kinds of bars there too but like this is the part of the city with the old school steakhouse with like the wood clad paneled wall you know kind of restaurant situation and it's like sort of like that old money scene in new york like it's right there it just felt very very real so,
2: so the it's answer very... is yes yeah okay yeah, so it was very nice. gossip girl that's what it kind of threw me back to yes
5: okay very gossip girl 90s very gossip girl
3: <laughs> Now, Rebecca, I'm starting to believe you that Van Buren doesn't actually like Curtis. Oh,
2: thank you. Oh,
5: how long have you been making this stupid podcast? It's taken, what, four years for you to believe me? Because in this episode, the hate is right on the surface, right?
1: Talk to her other rejection. You don't consider this a waste of time? I consider it covering all bases. But it's like, well, yeah, it's bullshit.
3: I know, but you got to do it. <laughs> Curtis. <laughs> Right, just because you bring your daughters in here, don't think I won't That's yell right. at you.
5: Right, she she doesn't. I mean, I really, I don't. I think it, she softens to him later. Yeah, season I, nineteen. I do think there are a series, 20. a protracted series of episodes. I don't know why I'm the only one who sees it. Like he he came in. Who did he replace? He um, plays uh, Logan. He replaced Logan. Logan. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I I just think she couldn't get over that. I I think there was a long period of time where. Uh, Esopatha Murkison was like, I'm on screen in this show for two minutes. What is my motivation? (laughs) And she had just decided her motivation is, I hate Ray. I can't explain it. I don't know why. Ray reminds me of someone I used to date. I don't know for some reason. And it just, to me, it just like oozes out of her at every scene. Um,
2: I think she's just sort of. Reflecting what the audience is thinking, and we can all kind of get behind her because that's exactly how everyone <laughs> else thinks about it. You're not quite sure why you don't like him, <laughs> but you don't.
3: <laughs> okay, we get to see somebody before they were famous. Yeah, we do.
6: Before they were famous.
3: Who is the actress playing Jenna Weber?
2: The woman from Grey's Anatomy, a show I don't watch.
3: Oh,
2: Ellen Pompeo. Yeah, that's the one.
1: Came home from the Red Onion around
2: 11 o'clock. I'm sure I locked it.
5: Why would anyone
1: do this to us? The most (laughs) highly
5: paid uh, woman TV star in America in an earlier performance that I have to say is pretty freaking good for Law & Order as guest stars who were not famous at the time go. Um, Yeah, so the thing about Ellen Pompeo that you should know, Sonia, is that... I'm not a huge Grey's Anatomy fan. I mean, I watched it at the beginning like everyone else did because we were all forced to because we live in America. <laughs> um, but the thing about Ellen Pompeo that's interesting is that she has managed to parlay this long running series into a like this is her Spock role, right? Like mm-hmm. everyone will always know her for this. Yeah, except for me. <laughs> money. I mean, she makes so much money. Like she's well known to be like one of the shrewdest negotiators in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. She's like, you want me? You got to pay for me. And she's like the rare uh, TV star woman who can do that. And you have to admire just the fact that she's just like built like a fortune out of this show, which is like, I don't know who's watching it anymore, but it still manages to be on. People
3: who are, our daughter is watching it. By the way, you'll remember, Rebecca, when you broke your leg six weeks ago? Yeah. When the, I noticed that when the, the nurse was helping you back in the car. Yes. On the back of her scrubs, it said, Grey's Anatomy. They they sell branded scrubs.
5: I got your daughter a Grey's Anatomy Christmas ornament this Christmas.
3: Yeah, so don't be slagging on on Ellen Pompeo.
5: You're my person. I'm not. She's (laughs) a good actress, and she's managed to turn what could have been like a mediocre TV career where she was just guest starring and things, and in short-run series, she's managed to parlay it into a highly lucrative career. I really admire her for that.
3: We have a Hey, It's That Girl. Hey,
2: It's That Girl.
3: Can you name the actress who plays attorney Margot Bell? Anyone?
2: Yes. Um, she was in, I don't know characters' names apparently. Uh she was in Silence of the Lambs.
3: <laughs> that's right. She
2: was Lotion Girl. Yes. Yes. <laughs> also a character that will always be known as Lotion Girl.
1: Weber swears he didn't do it. And you believe him. I was thinking more like you give a little, I give a little.
3: So that's Brooke Smith, mm-hmm. and she is best known as skinned onesie, Catherine Martin. Oh god. She puts the lotion on, right? This is her first of seven Law & Order appearances. Yes. She also played Dr. Erica Hahn on Grey's Anatomy. That's
5: right. I hate to say she's best known for that Sons of Lambs thing. That's just like where we first saw her.
3: Rebecca, what did you say when you saw her? Oh, it's you said I, you said, said It's, lotion, it, girl. it's <laughs>
5: lotion girl. But she's been in so many things. This is true. It's like Elizabeth Marvel. Like, she's been in, like, a million things. You Mm -hmm. see her all over the place. She's been in all kinds of movies and TV shows or whatever, and she's definitely, like, a hey-it's-that-girl person, except she has that one defining role where she was standing in the bottom of the well with the dog with the broken leg
6: (laughs) yelling up at James Gum,
5: and he was like, I pushed the ocean on the skin.
3: Or it gets the hose. Again. (laughs) We also have a Hey, It's That Guy. Hey, it's that guy. Does anyone recognize Chester, the boyfriend?
4: So I went out with Jenna a couple of times. What's that got to do with anything?
3: Nope. No. no. That young man is Sean Hattosi. He right now plays lead character Pope on Animal Kingdom with Ellen Barkin.
5: Yeah, I don't watch that. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor
3: Chester. Well, <laughs> <laughs> he was able to go on and do other things good uh, for him we know we saw them like kind of hanging out in front of like I don't know a bar or something like that all these teenagers the Red Onion yes the Red Onion <laughs> and he was with uh, another girl and, and that girl's name was Sonia did you recognize Sonia?
1: no no just just to mature for her little girl
3: that's Christina Loken she would go on to play the TX in Terminator 3.
5: <laughs> you, like, did a deep dive on IMDb
3: for this episode. <laughs> that was good, yeah. You
5: got into an IMDb vortex. <laughs>
3: yeah. So everybody got to see her butt when she time-traveled to kill John Connor.
5: hmm
3: And uh, she was also uh, one of the big victims of the fappening.
5: <laughs> oh, God. Oh, <laughs> fappening. Not good.
3: One of the reasons we know that Joyce is on the take is because she didn't give a liquor license to these two uh women who'd refused to pay. So instead of having their restaurant, now they have a little food cart. Yes. Because that's all they can swing.
5: Right. And they were like ahead of the food truck trend, right?
3: I guess so. <laughs> yeah,
2: they would They would be rolling in it now, honestly. like. <laughs> way ahead of their time can we
5: talk about the peanut butter and potato scene
1: sure who would have thought of putting peanut butter on potatoes yeah when's your physical what peanut butter potatoes it's two of the three major food groups
2: <laughs> what the hell is that no like who that wants- was perfect okay so a little bit of background <laughs> on me is i studied my masters in popular culture so i have a tendency to pick up on inane things that no one else sees uh-huh. but the beautiful part about Law & Order that I love is that it's all about food. Every episode has either a scene of, you know, Claire and Jack eating takeout, or they're by the hot dog stand, and they're just eating hot dogs, and it has nothing to do with the scene, but they always put in these food scenes. And... Not to, you know, bring it back to your State of the Unit address, but I think that's the one thing that SVU has broken away from the entire franchise is that there uh-huh. are no food scenes. And that's what made it so distinctly New York. You're
3: right. In, in Original Recipe, they uh, they... They have communion together. They yes, whether yeah. it's uh, you know, they talk about the Van
2: case. they beer and having pizza with the cop, yeah. and it's even how uh, Carmichael is is brought in. It's it's Jack brought her a salad. He didn't know what kind of dressing she liked. Like that is 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 excuse the pun the meat and potatoes of Law and Order.
3: You mean the meat and peanut butter covered potatoes.
2: <laughs> I would <don't laughs> <eat> that one hundred percent.
5: There's a really great sexist moment in the first half of this episode when the cops find out that Joyce Weber had a job, and it was like, I didn't know that Joyce worked. Joyce yes, worked. You yeah. be yes. like why? Why wouldn't you just assume that Joyce worked? Yeah. What's it, the matter with you people? Yeah,
2: there was a lot of subtle sexism in this episode, um, especially in the second half too. It was, I don't know if it's like a like you know, reflective of the times, but
5: there was a No, bit. welcome to
3: America, Sonya. No. Welcome to America. Yeah, I mean, I understand that money was tight, but why does she have a government job if they can swing that brownstone?
5: Well, because he had a fancy advertising agency Don Draper job
3: until.
5: And then she was on the take, which you've hinted at in the opening. So that's not really a spoiler, is it's it? It's not
3: a spoiler. No. <laughs> <laughs> We don't do spoilers anymore on this show. (laughs) They do get around eventually to interrogating Ron.
1: I didn't kill anybody. Well, that's not 100% accurate, Mr. Weber. See, you don't really remember what you did. Why don't you think it over for a few minutes, huh?
3: Poor Ron. Yeah, now they say the evidence against him is weak, so they let him go. And they just go to his office and they find that jewelry, and, yeah. which technically belongs to him. That's and they right. say, good enough for now. Let's bring
2: him in. <laughs> there, again, not to play the Canada card, but where I'm from, Canada, there seems to be a lot of procedural things in this episode that I have questioned and I, I just need some clarity later on when we get to the law side of things.
3: Oh, well.
5: yeah. <laughs> Sonia can't understand why Ron looks so unhealthy. Because in Canada, he would just go to the doctor and it would be free.
2: <laughs> I actually have a note when they were like, You got your psychiatry at the state's expense. And I just wrote, Healthcare, LOL.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Did you know that Delaware has endless discoveries? The first state invites you to explore miles of beaches and boardwalks, dozens of unique breweries, award winning restaurants, some of the country's best state parks, beautiful garden estates, and even tax free shopping. There's plenty of fun for the entire family, and more. Find trip ideas and all the info you need to plan your Delaware discoveries at visitdelaware.com.
1: Have you heard? Sling
2: TV
0: offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait, you look and sound
2: just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money? A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV, starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start saving today. Visit
1: sling.com to see your offer. Sling.
3: All right, now let's look at the second half of this episode. Ron has hired Claire's law school buddy, Margot Bell. She's pushing her client to take a plea, but he won't do it. Even though Olivet has never met him and says she really shouldn't do it, she testifies that Ron very well could be a family annihilator.
1: But family annihilators typically exaggerate the importance of their role in the family. Without me, the family would be nothing. Mr. Weber seems to fit the profile. I want you to tell that to the jury. Jack, I haven't examined him. I can only speak in hypotheticals. Weber will give specifics. There's no way Margot will put him on the stand. I am on very shaky ground here. At best, it's speculation. I can't say for sure. You don't have to. Just say it's possible.
3: Runt says he was just going to sell the jewelry for money, and his breakdown on cross-examination looks bad for him. But Olivet rushes to tell Jack he can't possibly be a family annihilator because they confess. They always confess. So then what really happened? And what has to be some kind of disbarable offense, Claire and Margot set off to investigate the crime together. They learned that Joyce and Jenna would fight about her boyfriend Chester, Maybe they did it together. The team pulls the old get everybody together in Jack's office and see what happens trick. In front of Jenna, Dad says, look, I'm going to jail now. It's really happening. And that's when Jenna blurts out that it's her fault. She let Chester in to steal the jewelry, but he freaked out when it was missing. Everyone's willing to buy it except for McCoy, who points out that Jenna could have just taken the jewelry for herself. It wasn't a robbery at all. It was a planned murder. All along. Hmm.
5: Dun, dun, dun. <laughs>
3: <laughs> now, like with the Sandy Duncan episode, they show a, a collegial relationship between yes. lawyers.
5: which is so realistic.
1: It had to happen sooner or later. How have you been, Margo? <sighs> Look at my client. You tell me. Oh, well, you certainly off to a good start.
5: You have friends and you're very often on the opposite side of those friends. And there's nothing wrong with that. There is, however, something wrong with going with the lawyer on the other side of the case <laughs> to investigate new leads. That's a little bit weird.
3: They're also laying the groundwork for Claire to consider leaving law, which is how I think a lot of us would have thought she was going to leave the show.
1: Instead, of course, her character was killed off. You ever think about quitting? Oh, yeah, right. We'll open a flower shop. Why not? You don't have to lie to suspects, and I don't have to represent guys like Weber. I'm allergic. And neither one of us knows how to read a balance sheet. You remember in that
3: very famous episode, Aftershock, that she is talking with her stepfather slash old law professor about, you know, what else is there besides the law. And I think we start to see we don't see any of the um, the Easter eggs about her relationship with Jack in this particular episode. But we do see the start of this this storyline. Um, yeah,
2: no, there was one little Easter egg about Jack. Oh? And, um, Margo and Claire were talking about some guy Claire used to date.
1: Claire, you were busy running around with what's-his-name instead of cramming for property. What can I say? What's-his-name was a better time than the rule against perpetuities. Who isn't? So Margo.
2: And Jack was just like, that's great. Let's get back to the case. And just shot oh. down that whole conversation.
3: Oh. oh. Margo. I, well, I can hear his... Testicles shrink from over here. I think Jack was a little
5: bit threatened by the Claire Margo friendship, oh, totally. and that's the thing. This is the problem. It's like you know, we don't like you know, you know me. I do not like seeing a lot of the personal lives of these people. I really just want to see them at work because that's how I know them. So that's how they are for me. But her relationship with Margo was lovely. They were friends. I don't know if they'd continue to be friends, or they just rekindled the friendship because of this case. But then they were like playing squash
2: or racquetball or
5: whatever the hell yeah. that sport was together.
2: It was nice. Yeah, they were gonna or- open the flower shop. In fact, I want to change my favorite uh, lawyer team to uh, Claire and Margot.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, that I should still. tell Margot not to get close to Claire. <laughs> no, yeah, don't make any long-term plans. Don't get in
2: a car with her, for yeah. God's sake. Don't co-sign Especially a loan. If don't Lenny's open that driving. flower shop. Can I just say one thing, Rebecca, about um, the whole like Jack and and um, Claire not seeing the relationship?
5: Totally. I
2: have one of those things that I had a realization that I didn't know before. Three years ago, I realized Hudson University was not a real university.
6: <laughs> oh. <laughs> and I only realized that
2: because I tweeted something along the lines like, why does Hudson let them get away with using their name? Wouldn't they get just so much bad address? And everyone was just like, uh. Sonia so. is my new favorite person. Oh. But the Hudson thing, that's
5: harder to discern. Like, if you don't <laughs> remember from America, like, how would you know that? Oh,
3: Because Hudson is never in your March Madness bracket. <laughs>
5: Neither is Columbia, by the way. F Y
2: I.
3: We are Hudson, where the bad guys go to school.
2: There is a Hudson College in Toronto, which is the even better part. So I just was like, oh, oh. I don't know, maybe it's some sort of sister school. I it's don't where know.
5: it's it's where the bad guys go to say, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> sorry.
3: Sonia, what do you think about Olivet's role here? That she's she gets kind of uh, first of all forced into making a a diagnosis that she says that she shouldn't be making and then she's like uh well he couldn't be a family annihilator
2: because he didn't confess to it so to kind of backtrack a little bit i started watching law and order when i was about six years old like most people do because i had older brothers and my grandfather watched it and had no sense of like what's child appropriate so i grew up (laughs) thinking like these characters like Jack were like these beacons of truth. And like, this was like the American way, et cetera, et cetera. And the older I get, the more I realize how like, just how fucking wrong Jack is 90% of the time. (laughs) Especially to uh, my boyfriend's English and he has never seen a Law and Order before me, which just blows my mind. And the first episode he watched was the worst episode ever. It's a uh, SVU episode, so we'll go with that. And it's one where it's like this really complicated case where this woman, a Canadian woman, is murdered and then there's like it's in the back of the mayor's house. And then there's like this teenage drug thing where they're giving Adderall to like soccer moms. And like, there's all these different things going on. And then the end, it's a homeless guy that she gave half a sandwich to who's murdered her. And so like, me trying to explain Law and Order to somebody who's never seen anything and then watches this piece of shit and is just like, this is your favorite show ever? What is wrong with you? So now going back and actually having to explain, um, we watch more Law and Order than SVU now, but going back and having to explain Jack's actions and his like methodology and his thinking, and I'm like, I don't agree with any of this. And like, I'm starting to feel bad about myself for thinking he was this American hero. Thanks, America. Look what you're doing to me. But,
3: but why is the psychological diagnosis based on the fact that he has to confess?
1: Yeah, that because... was stupid. You were all over him, Jack. He should have broken down. But he did. No, I mean, he should have confessed under that much pressure. That's the typical response for a family annihilator. Why the hell didn't you tell me this before? Because you told me he would never take the stand. So you're changing your opinion. But the other thing
5: is, is like, how does the defense attorney, Bell, know about Olivet's secret opinion that she couldn't have diagnosed that? Clearly she knows that because uh, Kincaid told her. No,
3: she would Olivet went on the stand right. and testified knowing that she had never spoken to her client. Correct.
5: There's a bunch of weird stuff that Belle knows that like she shouldn't know. And there's all this weirdness about Claire making this super weird deal to allow Olivet to interview Weber, like
1: let Olivet interview Weber. If he confesses, take the deal. And if he doesn't, we won't use anything he says against him in court. You'll have your acquittal. That's not putting the poker chips away, Claire. That's doubling the bet.
5: The whole psychiatrist Olivet role here, Dr. Wong, he's a man. Like, they would never ask him to do this shit. They would never ask. What Dr. Wong would do is he would say uh, proactively, I have some cutting-edge research I want to do for the journal, so can I do this shit? But they always feel comfortable. They would cure the
3: guy in five minutes. They always
5: feel comfortable putting Olivet in this situation, and it's not cool.
3: No, no.
2: No. But, I mean, she gets fed up, and then she goes to, like, private practice and then fights Jack in a later episode, doesn't she?
5: It's true. And isn't she so beautiful, Sonia? Isn't she so beautiful? She's
2: beautiful.
3: Uh, Who looked at Chester and said, Yeah, he did it. (laughs) So they did throw some shade at Chester about being a bad student. When he needs a lawyer, Curtis says,
4: I'll bring you the yellow pages. They got pictures.
3: (laughs) Yes.
5: And Claire says, Stupid's not against the law. (laughs) In my notes, all it says is, They're such dicks
2: to Chester. Like, it was so unnecessary.
3: (laughs) So it's the office come to Jesus scene, right? The theory is that Jenna didn't doesn't believe that her dad is going to go to jail because he didn't actually do it. So if they kind of convince her that, no, no, he's actually going to go to jail, then she'll speak up, which to me sounds like probably not as good an idea as maybe just interrogating her.
2: The whole idea that Jack has to be the smartest person in the room.
1: <laughs> Chester wasn't there for the jewelry, was he? He was there to murder your mother. And you knew about it. No. This wasn't a robbery at all. You wanted your mother dead. You hired Chester Manning. The jewelry was just supposed to be his payment.
2: So, like, these women have done all this legwork and worked together to solve this case for some reason, etc. But it's Jack who, like, figures it out in a split second and everything wraps up all nicely. Like, it's... That whole scene was just... ugh.
5: Yeah, I also don't like the premise that Jenna isn't just a psychopath who like arranged to have her mother killed, right? Right. Mm-hmm. The premise is that she's still a daddy's girl and won't want her daddy to go to prison. This is someone that just killed not only her mother, but her little brother. Like, she's a bad person. Yeah, see, I, <laughs> <laughs> I'm why do not think certain... this heartfelt shit is going to work on her. That's yeah.
3: sexist. Yeah, see, I'm not certain I got why the brother was killed and why Jenna herself was shot. I mean, I get that mom is the target, and it's a good night because she doesn't want to have dad hurt, and him being out's good. They never explained like was her being shot part of the plan, or, Did Ch- he, or her no, brother?
2: It's, no, it was because the um, it was because the jewelry was missing, and the jewelry was supposed to be payment, and then he was also stoned, and apparently, stone makes you go on a killing rampage.
3: No, but that wasn't it. I thought they, that, was it. that was the story she. That was the story she tried to peddle. And then McCoy says, "No, wait. You could have just taken the jewelry yourself. You didn't need to have Chester come in and steal it."
5: Yeah, I think yeah. she's. I think the thing Which, we're supposed to take away, like I think she's supposed to be a psychopath, but I think she was acting that because she's a really good actress. By the way, and I've said it before. Like Ellen Pompeo really crushes this guest starring role. But however, it was edited, or the script was written around it, didn't convey that. But I think that's what it was supposed to be.
3: Yeah, I think I think that they could have done uh, a cleaner job of explaining exactly what the what the murder was about.
2: Definitely, because I like I genuinely thought it was that he was going to murder their fa- uh, her family, and then they were going to run away together. The jewelry was supposed to be payment, but then it wasn't there. So then he lost it because he was stoned, and she wasn't expecting that.
5: What? There's one thing we know, right? Yeah. Chester is her person. Yes. <laughs> her person. Seriously?
6: Seriously? Seriously. So
2: the one thing that I kind of liked about it, even though we just sort of tore it apart for five minutes, was the plot simplicity. Like, she wanted her mother dead and, you know, it was an overbearing mother and so she killed her mum essentially, or got somebody to kill her mum, or whatever the ending is, we're still confused. But, like, if this was an SVEU episode... It would have like incest mixed into it, and the mother mm. was really her sister, and Noah would have been like a murder suspect or something along those lines. And yeah. I think we really take for granted about just how clean cut and a bow at the end Law and Order is. And I kind of miss that. And another strike against SVU. Sorry, I didn't mean this to be SVU bashing episode.
5: No, I love That's it. That's right. I'm still
0: watching it every freaking week. But you're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs>
3: All right, let's take a look at the real-life story that inspired this episode. It's time for Ripped from the Headlines. You think you know who did it.
1: You think you know who did it. But you don't know who did it. You don't know who did it. Ripped from the Headlines.
4: This episode shares some plot points with the 1971 case of John List. The papers dubbed him the bogeyman of Westfield, New Jersey. List was a church-going family man and bank vice president. When he lost his job, he kept the secret by leaving home, reading the paper, then returning for dinner. List feared financial ruin and worried his family was turning away from God. One day, List shot his wife and mother in the morning, then his two younger children after school. After making himself lunch, List went to his oldest son's soccer game, then killed him when they returned home. List left a note saying he murdered his family so they would go to heaven. He cancelled his mail and milk deliveries. He sent excuse notes to school. He cut his face out of all the family photos and left religious music playing on the radio. List did such a good job covering his tracks, the murders weren't discovered for a whole month. John List vanished. Eighteen years later, a neighbor spotted him on America's Most Wanted. He had been living a new life in Virginia. John List was given five life sentences and died in prison in 2008.
2: Now, if you're
3: wondering if that rip from the headline sounds familiar, it, does. it should, <laughs> because it's the same story that inspired our Criminal Intent episode, Family Values. Yes. So it's actually our first rip from the headline Cy Freighter rerun.
5: That's why I was sitting here listening to Cy read that and staring at you with giant pie-shaped eyes <laughs> like... This all sounds super fucking familiar. This is that dude. It's like the Dexter dude episode, right? Yes. Where he like kills somebody with a hammer and then is just like killing people. And there's a whole like pencil tucky gravesite scene. Uh I remember this very well.
3: So, Sonia, in the Criminal Intent episode, it, it tracks much closer to the rip from the headlines tale. The guy was a bank president, and he also lost his job. He he was kind of triggered by the lust after his own daughter or the fear that his daughter was going to have to do sinful things as she grew up. But the thing about killing the family and leaving the the music playing and and running off, uh, it, it, it tracked an awful lot. In this case, it seems like John List as the family annihilator. We hear them talk about that and drag that in. And so, it's a red herring, though. It is a red in herring. In this episode,
5: Yeah, yes. It's very meta of
2: them.
3: Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about John List for a little bit here. Uh, surprise one, uh, someone was still getting milk delivery when they had a refrigerator. <laughs> <laughs> uh, surprise two, he got a month head start with no one realizing what happened.
5: Yeah, what year was this?
3: 1971.
5: Well, as we've learned from watching all these Ted Bundy documentaries, <laughs> you could do whatever the fuck you wanted in the 70s and no one would ever notice. Ever listen to Bear Brook? Like People would disappear and no one ever reported them missing. Yeah,
3: you, you know how they eventually decided to check on the family, uh, Sonia? Uh, th- the neighbors noticed that the lights were on all day and night. And when the <laughs> okay. lights eventually started burning out- Someone finally said, "Let's go next door and check on this." On this, they were reclusive anyway, and uh, dad was a dick. Dad was a dick. I mean, he he had really covered the tracks well, so that you know they wouldn't be missing in school because it seemed legit, and at work and everywhere else. You know, there were no newspapers piling up on the front door, and so that's how he was able to get his jump.
5: I have a real question for you. Yeah. So let's just pretend. This is going to be dark, but I'm just it's make believe. If you find this kind of thing disturbing,
3: you're listening to the wrong podcast. Switch so to a different podcast. <laughs> right.
5: Let's pretend I decided to murder you tomorrow and I want to like a head start. Yeah. So let's just say theoretically, I called your job. Uh-huh. Kevin is like his health is not good. He had a fall. I just make something up yeah. and I say, "He's not going to be in for 2 weeks." Your workplace would be covered, right? Mhm. Do you honestly think any of our neighbors would ever contact anyone if they noticed a change of the pattern of the lights in our house, <laughs> <laughs> or were they just assume that we just were trying to like, like nobody? That's not a reason why anybody would ever call anybody anymore. I think this is totally plausible.
3: It's totally plausible.
5: It's frightening how plausible that is, even today.
3: So here's what happened with John List. He took a train to Colorado. They found his they found his car at the airport. They didn't know if he took a plane. He ended up taking a train to Colorado. He was living in Denver under the name Bob Clark. He met a girl and married her, and then they moved to Virginia. And that was then. Eighteen years later, you could say he didn't annihilate his family once.
5: (laughs) God. Turned over a new leaf.
3: No more family annihilations. Uh, America's Most Wanted had an age-progressed clay bust of him that was a dead ringer for how he looked in 1989 when it aired. And so, an old neighbor in Denver reported him, saying that looks like that looks like Bob.
5: Hmm. That's crazy. You know what's more crazy? What did you pay Cy Freighter twice to read that same right from the headlines thing?
3: No, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> I already had it. So I was like, you didn't have me do the state of the unit address either. So it's, it's <laughs> like it's like a month and no pay for poor Cy. Uh Uh So do you think if you saw somebody on America's Most Wanted or maybe Canada's Most Wanted, if there's such a thing, (laughs) you'd be able to say, yeah, that looks like my old accountant who did my taxes that year?
2: That's my mum, so I hope to Christ not. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, America's Most Wanted was another one of those shows that my grandfather let me watch way too young. And as a kid, I <laughs> this just is why assumed... you haven't
3: emigrated, right? Because yeah, exactly. everything in, in America
2: sounds <laughs> violent. I've never come to the states. Um, no, but it, it was one of those things where I just assumed everyone was who I saw in America's Most Wanted. So, like, when we had a supply <laughs> teacher come in, I was just like. I'm That he's who I saw on TV last night. So Mm. there's some good from those shows. And then you have kids who are exposed to murder far too early and just take it the wrong way.
5: I think your grandfather did you a favor. I really do. He sounds like a rad babysitter.
2: I mean, I really think so. Oh, no, he was terrible. He, he <laughs> used to have a, a phrase, um, and it was, children should be seen and not heard. And well, so we were only wow. allowed watching because we sat quietly. <laughs> <laughs>
3: um, Can we try that with our kids? Because no. it's not going to work. Too late. It did not work. It's not going to work.
2: But a similar case exactly like this, or exactly like the Law and Order episode, happened in Canada about nine years ago? maybe less than that. Yeah, um, a woman named, yeah, a woman named Jennifer Payne, she was pan, she was uh, in university, or so she said, but it was the same thing, where like, she told her parents that she was going to med school, and she had this whole great life, etc, etc, and she was like forging her report cards, and things started spiraling out of control, and she had a drug-dealing boyfriend, and so she paid the boyfriend to murder her parents, and... It was like a family annihilation again, but it was Jennifer who was orchestrating it, and she was caught. And wow. Yeah. And yeah. just happened outside of Toronto and Markham.
5: She, like, really didn't want them to see that report card, eh? <laughs> Essentially, that was it.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I've done some shitty things to get out of confessing to my own C+. Plus. That's right. But eventually, if you're pushed, the family annihilator uh, will confess. Uh, that is going to do it for us. We want to thank our guest, Sonia Missio. Sonia, where can our listeners follow you online?
2: I am everywhere at Sonia Missio, and um, you can follow Unusual Efforts at Unusual Efforts.
3: And Rebecca Lavoie, how can our listeners follow you?
5: Well, they can listen to Crime Writers On, or they can follow me on Twitter or Instagram at Reb Lavoie.
3: And you can track me on Twitter at Kevin P. Flynn. You can also tweet to us at Law & Order Pod, or follow us on Instagram at These Are Their Stories Podcast. Our unpaid newsreader was Side (laughs) Freyter. Our theme music was composed and performed by Uncanny Valleys. Line editing by Henry Lavoie. Content assistance from Travis Roy. Lily Flynn handles promotions. To get ad free episodes of These Are Their Stories a week early, sign up for Stitcher Premium. Get your first month free at StitcherPremium.com slash crime. All clips in this podcast were used in compliance with the U.S. Copyrights Act Fair Use Exemption for criticism and commentary. Special thanks to the elite squad of the Law & Order Wiki community for preserving the evidence. If you want to know about what episodes we're talking about in our upcoming shows, go to lawandorderpodcast.com. Sign up for our newsletter for a chance to be our next Law & Order Marathon winner. These are their stories, was recorded in the yoga loft above the Bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi, studio, and is a production of Partners in Crime Media.
0: Dun, 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 dun,
6: dun. All right. <laughs> Partners, Partners in, in crime. crime Media.